got milk. Fantastic pour. Want to look super? Some studies suggest that teens who choose milk instead of sugary drinks tend to be leaner, and the protein in milk helps build muscle. Staying active, eating right, and drinking three glasses a day of low-fat or fat-free milk helps you look your best. That's no stretch. Body by Milk. www.bodybymilk.com. Welcome, dear listener, to our podcast, Jeff and Merck present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Where we journey through each issue of comics that include a member of the most underrated Marvel series from the 80s while drinking beer. Analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. And I am Rick. I random once, I random twice, I won't let go at any price. <laughs> I need you now like I need you then. You always said we'd still banter someday. Random banter time, buddy. Talk to me, tell me tall tales and tantalizing tidbits of trivia today. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Orchestra maneuvers in the dark. OMD. <laughs> if you leave. God, I love the leave. 80s. I love the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> but why would I pick it? From that seminal movie, Pretty in Pink. Yeah. And that's because, like we've been doing for all of the loner issues, we have a cover here from that's a ripoff of a John Hughes movie poster. And this time it is Pretty in Pink. And we will be talking a lot about this poster at the end, and if it fits, if it doesn't fit, if we like it or not. But, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, we, we like the artwork. The artwork's great. We'll get into talking more about that later, but Jeff's doing the music from it. We know <laughs> it's pretty simple this time around. And ah, I love that song. I love myself the <laughs> 80s music. So Every era of music has stuff that is really, really good. Yep. And there's a lot of stuff in every era of music that's really, really bad. So <laughs> there you go. Everybody likes something. And at mm -hmm. one point in time, everybody liked anything. Even Nickelback. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> we did a podcast with Al Sedano, our friend mm. from Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Mm -hmm. He wanted Carrie to come on the show so we could cover a Super Spidey issue that one of the stories in the Super Spidey issue was a Thanos story. And he wanted us to cover a really bad Spider-Man and Impossible Man story in there. So <laughs> Carrie held strong for six pages of reviewing a comic <laughs> with me and Al Sedano. So that should come out nah, sometime this summer. But, ah, that's cool. I'll give that a peek when, uh, when it pops. Yeah. Long about way to say a geeky thing that we've been doing. And, and that's, that's, that's what we've been doing. How about you? You don't need good geeky stuff? A little bit less geeky, but still did some stuff. Went out yesterday because it was uh, nice and stormy here, but up at Mount Hood, it was uh, supposed to be a, a snowfall and not stormy. So good conditions up there. And we said, you know, what? we've been trying to get up to the mountain for a while. We have the opportunity now. Let's get out of the rain and go where the snow is. And so we went up to Mount Hood and went up to uh, White River area and basically had the entire place to ourselves. There mm -hmm. was a uh, a couple that were snowboarding. We saw them later. Then there were about like two other cars that came in. They kind of looked at the snow and poked it with a stick. And one flew a quadcopter for a bit. And then they all left. So we had White River on Mount Hood to ourselves. 
Nice. And so, yeah, so we did some snowshoeing and uh, snowball throwing and snow angel making. Yeah, so we basically just got to play in the snow, and it was beautiful, and snow was coming down. We got to... She was super excited to go back to the car because we were going to have hot cocoa there. So she's running and running and running, and then she's running down a hill to the parking lot, and I'm like, yeah, she's going to eat it. And then she (laughs) did. And at which point Hillary's like, okay, Aurora, be real careful because you're a foot from a dog poop. The only dog poop on the entire freaking mountain anywhere near us, and that's where she almost falls into. I like that. It's great. Thank you. But beautiful day up in the snow. Like I said, had the place to ourselves, basically. Had hot cocoa afterwards in the car. Drove home and stopped and did a bunch of uh, geocaches and stuff. And just It was a really nice day. So nice. less geeky. Nice. Well, geeky for the geocaching. And I need to get the family out so we can go and enjoy the world a little bit more. Because there is a nice world out there, Jeff. There is a really nice world out there. Yep, I saw part of it yesterday. It was real pretty. But we aren't talking about the world outside. We're talking about the world inside. The world inside comic books. The world inside comic books that feature a member of Power Pack. And to bring us back into this world, we need to ask about what happened during the last episode. Ricochet accidentally freed Hollow from her Pokeball, which means that it is time for a tights and fights moment that gets interrupted by Julie Power, who is promptly skewered by our bladed bottle babe and bleeds so bad that Ricochet has to rush her to total drama hospital. Goblin haunted Phil then freaks out about this, acts like a jerk, and then is kissed by Hollow, who tracked them to the hospital and needs to be protected by the not team from the MGH Corporation that had her kidnapped. Now that the a drug pusher slash tights fight kind of starts to happen, but then Mickey has a private talk with her, and then she walks away, abandoning her introductory storyline. Two-sentence replay is over. Why don't you give me a beer and tell us what our power pack pick is? My pleasure, my friend. As we have done, you've chosen a song that deals with the movie that is covered on the cover, mm-hmm. and I have chosen a beer that has somehow matched the cover, which is matching a movie. We got See that? What- yeah, I gotcha, I gotcha, I gotcha. So this is less a comic reference and more a movie reference. Beer. Well, but the comic is part of the movie. This is true. <laughs> I'll allow it. Because it is, Pink is Still the New Black <laughs> by Flatland Brewing Company. Story time on it is that it cost a value of money. Yes. But yes, that's I, cool. That, yeah, this, this is a cool looking can. This is just matte black can with metallic pink writing on it. It looks nice. Yeah. Very simple. Very elegant. Very much talking about the pink. Pink is the new black by Flatland Brewing Company. It's a 5.2% ABV, 40 IBU, made with the Pink Boots Hop Blend. We wanted to showcase this beer in a different light. The soft and delicate malt character takes a backseat to the bright hop aroma and flavor of pears, peaches, and coconut. The snappy dryness and high carbonation makes it the most crushable version yet, all while leaving that delicious hop flavor on your taste buds until the next sip. Thank you to all of the wonderful women in the industry, and specifically those that helped us make the beer. Cheers. Cheers. A prose to foamy, foamy, heady goodness on this. Cracking the can open, I'm like, wow, this smells like bubblegum. And uh, it smells... Re- it did. What, just that first crack of it, I'm like, hmm, bubblegum. And then it started going into those fruit notes, like the pear and everything you were talking about. I'm not going to drink any for a little bit because my glass is still half foam, so maybe we'll put that over there for the time being. That's just because you don't know how to... I totally know how to pour a foam, foam froth head. 
This is a very clear, very pale yellow. Yeah. It's almost like a lager as far as that goes. But it looks a like lot a cream of, soda, honestly. Yeah, I, I can go there. Yeah. A lot of bubbles coming up, very much that effervescent. I think they mentioned in the description the high carbonation. It's bubbly. It's frothy. It uh, smells very sweet, very fruity, very bubblegumly, kind of candy-like. It's not that strong, though. I'm not getting too much of a very strong smell on it once it's in the glass, though. No. Cracking the can, it had a big aroma. When I was pouring it, it had a big aroma. Now that it's in the glass, it is... It might just be that I've got the, the foam head blocking it, but it seems like all that effervescence just went away. Now, take a sip of that, because I know what this reminds me of. It's real mild. This reminds me of champagne. Yes. Yes, it does. This reminds me of champagne. I am not getting any of the fruit or sweetness notes that I was smelling on it. The carbonation really hits a lot. Snappy dryness, high carbonation. That is correct. Yeah. In the background, there is some of those pear, peach, coconut, but it is really in the background and you have to really work for it. I am not even getting those. It is literally a champagne. I'm not a big champagne drinker. I'm not a big fan of it. This tastes like a very nice champagne. This would be a champagne that I would go back for. As a beer, I'm a little confused. Yeah. But I'm going to be drinking it for the entire hour. Right now, I really like the way that it smelled when I opened the can and now I'm kind of uh, just getting neutral about it. I'll tell you what though, it is very easy to drink. Yeah. You aren't having to fight anything with it. You're not having to try to decipher any tastes. It's not strangling your tongue. It's not tarting you out. It's not doing any of those things. The carbonation and bubbles just make it go right down the throat. This is a very quick and easy beer. So yeah, this is a a very poor down the throat beverage. Mm -hmm. Easy to move through like a John Hughes movie. (laughs) Now let's see if it's easy to go through like this comic book. And to start us off, we need some opening credits, if you please, sir. The Loners, issue number four, September 2007. What you don't know. Credits, writer, C.B. Sobolski, artist, Carl Maline, colorist, Beth Satello, letterer, V.C.'s Russ Wooten, cover artist, Jason Pearson, production, Kate Levin, assistant editor, Molly Laser, editor, Bill Roseman, Executive Editor, Tom Brevoort. Editor-in-Chief, Joe Casada, Publisher, Dan Buckley. Featuring the loners, Lightspeed, Darkhawk, Green Goblin, Ricochet, Turbo, and Spider-Woman. And guest-starring, Hollow. Being young and in L.A. in the mid-2000s, there are some things you have to do, like eat at an In-N-Out burger joint, or, in this case, an out-and-in burger joint, to avoid those pesky copyright laws. I'm sorry. I was still skating by on my nerdy attitude, granola eating, flannel slash hiking Pacific Northwest style at the time. So I was not really down with what the cool kids were doing. Was that really a thing? Sure. You want to be out and about. You want to be seen. And you, most importantly, want to eat. I mean, it was no big kahuna burger, but it was very chic to nosh there. Then I guess that Johnny and Julie are the height of elegance and grace as they are chowing on some burgers and fries. But let's back up a second. She had massive stab wounds in her everywhere area last episode. How can she be pounding the heavy calories in a grease palace while in a tank top? Julie covers both points with Johnny. Her alien metabolism gives her great healing and a fantastic metabolism. Ah, alien horse magic. The key to a perfect body and interstellar warfare. These two kids have a nice relationship. Or friendship. Sure, 
It is obvious to everyone but Julie that Johnny has a crush on her, but really, they seem to be able to talk with each other in a more friendly and supportive fashion than, like, everybody else in the group seems to be capable of doing. Speaking of which, they chat about Phil and Hollow. Some time has passed, and it sounds like Phil is caring for Hollow and keeping her from slashing, stabbing, and sniffing more people. So, uh, hooray. Julie has accepted that Hollow was scared when they first met, and reacted with some defensive stabbing. She doesn't think that another murder meet-cute will happen again, since Phil seems to have her under control. In the meantime, Mickey and Maddie are trying to find out more about Hollow. It really appears that Julie is willing to trust anyone. Hollow, Maddie, and a potentially creepy Phil. Johnny does not. Julie's empathy and intuition has also led her to realize that Chris and Mickey are possibly dating. Actually, the words she used were that they had a lovey-dovey vibe, and that they were, oh, like, oh my god, so totally doing it. Uh, doing what? Knocking boots. Why would they knock boots? Do they have mud on them or something? I'll explain it after the show to you, Jeffy boy. But Julie does drop something about Mickey being, like, smoking hot. And that she totally... Totally what? Uh, she doesn't say. Anyway, lunch is over and Johnny is giving Julie a ride to her audition at... <clears throat> Marvel Studios. Well, why not? It is easier and more realistic than creating another fictitious named one. Meanwhile, at Phil's apartment... Home of the Fighting Dishes. We got a small scene where Phil is cleaning some dishes while he watches Hollow sleep on the floor. His mind is replaying their meeting and their kiss, and the memory of it makes him smile. Then his mind projects the image of the green goblin about to kiss Hollow on the plate that he's about to dry, and he freaks out, breaks all the dishes, falls to the floor, and Hollow comes over to hold him. Yep, he is doing just fine. Back at the auditions for Civil War, Julie busts through the door, angrily explaining where the casting director can shove his take some acting lessons critique. Apparently, the director makes movies that are mostly CGI. And, well, in Julie's opinion, they are not so good. While Johnny and Julie are doing a Siskel and Ebert in the movie studio hallway, an action director named Mr. Lowell hears them. He is one of those, gosh, it's refreshing to hear true spoken kind of guys. Johnny knows his work and thinks he is the bee's knees of action movies, a traditionalist of practical effects. But as Mr. Lowell points out to them, practical effects are pricey and CGI is easier and cheaper. And it's what all the kids are doing these days. The other issue that Mr. Lowell has is that the stuntmen willing to do these practical actions action scenes are retiring or expensive. And then Julie asks about using people with superpowers instead of stuntmen as she floats in front of him. It's like manna from heaven. You can see the dollar signs light up in this guy's eyes. Two dopey kids with powers who will work for scale. Cha-ching! Oh, but he does want to make sure that they are registered superheroes. And Julie gives an awkward, uh, eventual, uh, affirmative answer. Wait, what? Do we have drama happening in this comic series? What? Well, before they can agree on this totally legal handshake-like deal, Johnny pulls our rainbow girl to the side so that they can have a conference. He needs to remind her that they really should not be using their powers. And this seems too good to be true. And this may be a bad idea. And, uh, you know. Julie counters by saying, I want to want to be an actress. And this is different. So there... <laughs> okay, let's move on to another powered power couple, Mickey and Chris. Hoy they. They're at the Griffith Observatory, near the James Dean bust. 
Because, of course, they are. And Chris is trying to dig himself out of the hole he created over the last couple of issues. Well, let's take a look at the shovel he was using. He lied, used his powers, and snuck around with Maddie. Which he did for, let me see, what did he say here? Oh, yeah. All the right reasons. So, fellas. Yeah. Fellas. Yeah. Is your girlfriend real mad? Heck yeah. Then maybe try not to use the term right reasons. Chris is trying. He really sees this to be about the same as when they suited up to go after the runaways. Except for the line. And the sneaking around with another woman. Touché. There are trust issues on Mickey's side. As in, she does not really trust, nor really even like Maddie. I think she sees her as competition. Tired old trope. But what about Julie? Asks Chris. And Mickey gives an oblique reference that Julie is not into... The dating scene. Yeah, yeah, the dating scene. That's the ticket. Too busy, too focused on their career. Dating scene? Career? Yeah, they just dangle this shoe for a while now, don't they? No, wait. Is this shoe one of the ones from earlier that had mud on it that needed knocking off? Anyway, these two crazy kids kiss and make up, and then start talking about some bedroom costume role-playing, so we should just, you know, move on to, um... The Black Cat and the Iron Fist? Yeah, sure. Well... Sort of. It's Julie and Johnny dressing up as these other Marvel heroes on a fake New York rooftop movie set. Julie is using her own speed and flight powers to dodge, duck, dip, dive, and Donnybrook like the feline felon she is portraying. She is also selling the punches and kicks that Johnny is throwing. There are some slight rainbow trails as our female fast flyer flits, flips, and flees, but the two make the action look very convincing, including the final shot of Julie, uh, or Black Cat getting kicked off the roof. The scene is a smashing success. The crew and director are massively impressed. The director and producer discuss removing the rainbows at a small, yet affordable cost in post-production. See, it's still a cost-benefit. Julie is ecstatic about this opportunity and her performance. So much so that she does a happy scream and flight in front of the whole crew. Johnny is much more reserved. He's really not sure about this whole thing. Plus, he was supposed to meet up with Maddie, who he calls to explain. Maddie understands and keeps working on their case. Oh yeah, the uh, MGH thingy she's been uh, working on. Well, Ricochet has been out doing actual stuff about it, right? Back with Julie, she has flown out to the Hollywood sign while chatting on the phone with Katie. Interesting to note, she lies to her sister about using her powers, as she is flying and her sister can hear the wind. Give the girl a break! She's excited to be actually acting. Katie is happy for her, and happy to find out before Jack. I mean, come on, we're all happy when Jack does not get to be Jack. Katie does point out that it is odd that Julie did not have to get some kind of permission slip signed or something, seeing as how she is underage, but Julie just blows it off. You know, I think you're letting that whole dumb blonde act go to your head. And while the ecstatic Julie comes down to earth, both literally and figuratively, by the Hollywood sign, Katie correctly points out that she was the smart and responsible older sister. And she really needs to start acting that part again. Bam! A phoned-in punch from the sister. Take that, Julie's ego. Knock, knock. Sometime later, we are back at the studio, and Julie is changing out of her movie costume in her trailer. And we are dropping a trigger warning here for an attempted sexual attack on an underage woman. Yeah. <sighs> Even though Julie said to wait, the director barges in to leer at her, putting on her shirt. The sleaze does not waste any time moving in on her, proposing that she needs to pay him back for the opportunity he is giving her. Smack! 
As Julie knocks his hand away, Captain Jerko Slimeball states that he started talking to her because of her looks, and he blames her for his attraction due to her innocent attitude and clothing attire. You see, he has the power to make everything happen for her, if she just makes with the nice-nice. Oh, really? You've got the power? Wesh! In a Technicolor rainbow blast, McDirect Dirt goes flying out of the trailer and lands on his keister. Needless to say, he is a little annoyed and threatens to call the cops on her for using her powers on him. Julie is more than happy to chat with the cops. She is sure that they would be interested in why this man was propositioning a 17-year-old girl. You know, a minor. Oopsie. He really thought that she was older. That is no excuse. It was no excuse, but it was a persona. And between this attack and the call from her sister... And a little bit of self-reflection standing on the roof from the first issue, Julie realizes that she is living a lie. Hey, do you remember when we used to do jokes and parody songs and weird voices? <laughs> Good times. Good times. Yeah, well, sometimes you have to grow up. But I don't wanna! Later, Julie is at the support group meeting, and it is time for her to come clean. She comments on how mutants get their powers around puberty, as if nature is allowing them to mature a little bit into the responsibility. She had her powers at 10, and she had to figure it all out way too fast, with some help with her family. Her siblings and her chose to keep it a secret, chose to deal with the burden themselves with nobody else's help. She passes around a picture of her brothers and her sister and her to the group, and talks about how hard it was to keep it a secret, especially from their parents. They were good at keeping that secret, and good at lying because of it. And it was that lying part that became second nature. She got really good at it. So good that she came out here with a new persona to get away from who she was and what she had been defined as. Yeah, this is not her. And it is not a her that she wants to be anymore. So she's going to try again. And she begins to reintroduce herself to the group, but is interrupted by Necra. Man, this is why we cannot have nice things. And why you should just not post your meetings online. To be continued... Hey, everybody, we've got a book that we want to talk to you about. Have you accepted pink into your life? I'm pretty sure I have. <laughs> we've mentioned the cover, once again, drawn by Jason Pearson. And this time it is the cover of the movie Pretty in Pink. I, I know you all remember this movie poster from your childhood. But let me remind you a little bit. On the poster, you have Andrew McCarthy as Blaine. And he's up on the upper left-hand part of the, of the picture. And all three of these characters are standing in front of a fence. And then next to him, you've got Molly, actually kind of in the center, you've got Molly Ringwald as Andy. And then on the other side, you've got John Cryer as Ducky. And in the Andrew McCarthy spot, we've got Mickey, we've got Julian Molly Ringwald spot, and we've got Maddie as Ducky. The only really connection I've got with this is that Julie is pretty in pink. <laughs> and this is her story. But I probably would have put Johnny in the Ducky spot because in all ways... He is Ducky. And I probably would put Phil, less the crush, more the awkward counterpoint to Mickey as the lead. And I guess if you didn't have Phil or Ducky, Phil as Ducky, I guess you could have used Chris and Blaine spot. Or I'm um, spoilers, you could have had Carolina Dean in here, but that wouldn't have made any sense. It really, I can understand the pretty and pink reference and wanting to use this, but except for having Julie as the Molly Ringwald character, and maybe you have uh, Johnny up there as Ducky. It doesn't quite fit, per se. This is a story about a girl who's trying to be something that she is not to impress others, but 
not being true to herself. So in that sense, it does kind of fit in with Molly Ringwald's story just a little bit. It has been so long since I've seen Pretty in Pink that it basically doesn't exist in my mind anymore. <laughs> I remember tiny little, like, little, 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 little snippets of it where I'm like, there's a record store and, like, a vintage dress shop and... <laughs> You know, it, it's it's all for something. I'm just trying to match up a little bit what's on the cover. I still like these covers, and I think it's oh, fun great. that they put. The, I think that's fun that they put the characters in here. Yeah, I like playing the game of seeing it matches up with the story or anything going on with the characters. So, yeah, it, it, it is great, and it isn't like that. There's a real love triangle going on here. No. So, yeah, it especially with, with the characters with involved, guys. not with these characters. Yeah, so it's <laughs> it's kind of like. Yeah, all right. They just put characters in there. This this one seemed very much just like, hey, I want to do Pretty in Pink. Okay, cool. Do that. Uh, what characters are you going to put in there that makes sense? Yeah. Makes sense? No, I'm just going to put characters in there. Well, we will talk a little bit more about Love Triangle when we get to the next issue. And that one fits a bit better. But we will get there. Let's talk about this Julie-centric episode for now. We have been talking about this, that this is not the Julie power we know. She no. is presenting herself as older, dumber, naive, and ditzy. She is trying to be an actress, which that's not really fitting with her character that much. But I think this is a little bit of a redemption arc for why Julie is the way she is now. Mm -hmm. It has been many years since we've really seen the character. They have aged her up. There has probably been a bunch of other things that have occurred to her that have brought her to this point where she says, I have spent a long time lying. I have always been the smart one. I want to do something else. I want to live a different life. And now is a point in time where she's realizing, you know, I I'm really lying mostly to myself. I don't want to be this person. I don't want to get myself in these situations. There are other things that are happening that I'm just letting go because I want to live this life and persona that I've made up. Mm -hmm. Hollywood Julie, she said. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting in this, too. Is that they have, they like canonically aged her. They said what mm -hmm. her age is. She's 17 now. They've, they've said it. They wrote it at, I think in the beginning introductory letter, kind of opening page saying she was 17. When uh, Slime Bag McDirector was, you know, <laughs> doing stuff with her, it was just like, it's like, hey, it, you're sexually predating on a minor yeah. who's 17. The cops are going to want to talk to you about that. You know, it's just like they kind of hammered in the I'm 17. So they're giving her an age. And going, okay, yeah, here, she's not 14 like we kind of made it seem like two months ago, but now it's here it is. It's still a problem, but it's better. Yeah, it's so they've done that. They've also uh, stated that uh, Julie's parents know that she has powers and that yeah. she promised to not be using them. And Katie threatened right. to tell mom and dad that if she was flying. So I think her uh, flying in movies is totally a smart move and totally. Well, she can say that well. she was. That because she has experience in fighting, it was really easy for her to get this role. Mm -hmm. And it was just special effects that she was using around her. It still seemed like a big stretch. Yeah, we kind of covered it where it's just like, but I really, really want to be an actress. And this yeah. is different. It's, they're telling me to get an acting lesson. How about if I'm a superhero? What if I can fly? It's like, wow, that Johnny even says it. He goes, you just outed yourself to that director. Yeah. To simply see if you could get a film it's like, like ah yeah so it's still kind of dirty feeling i don't know i don't know she can she can be she can do what she wants to do mm -hmm. i think she knows she's making bad choices <laughs> the bad choices swing back around to hit her i think that it is fair to say that she does have trauma from lying and keeping secrets i mm -hmm. think i think it's interesting that she chose to be with these 
people as a way to protect herself. She's she's used to being with people she knows. Yeah. She knows she has to be around superpowered people. She really doesn't want to give up or stop using her powers or stop being a hero. No. But I think she's willing to start either going down this path or coming to terms with who she is. And she wants to come to terms with the fact of the path she's going down as well. Part of it, though, I'm going to interrupt you here. It's because yeah. it, you were saying that she doesn't want to be, you know, she doesn't want to use her powers. She doesn't want to be here. It's like, no, it seems like she wants to use or yeah. she does want to use them. It seems like she wants to use her powers, but she doesn't want to be a hero because she's not doing anything really. I mean, she went to a warehouse and got stabbed. That was about the most heroic yeah, thing but that she, she was, did. She was trying to de-escalate a situation. Yeah. That was her point. Yeah. So that is a very heroic move. Mm -hmm. She saw danger. She went to help her friend. I think she does want to be a superhero. And I think the direction she finally goes, because I'm going to say it, one of the next things that we're going to be covering with her is eventually her being part of Avengers Academy. Mm -hmm. So she is going to go back into the superhero lifestyle very hard. Yeah, at the end of the book, too, I think she, when she was talking about how she's been lying about who she is and everything, mm -hmm. it seemed like she kind of rehashed uh, Johnny's yeah. speech that he did when he walked out. She didn't walk out this time, where she was just like, hey, well, we were kids, we chose to keep it a secret, I came out here and I'm with the group, and, and it's like, because she even basically said, I kind of, I'm fuzzy on it right now, even though I've read it several times. Basically kind of making the feeling or the the statement of going, maybe us hiding our powers is against who we are and is yeah. not healthy for us. So, yeah. yeah, I think it seems like there's several party members that are like, there's a direction we should go. And it's not the direction that we said we were going to. Yeah. I want to also mention to you that this is not necessarily a new idea with superheroes using their powers on movie sets. I mean. No, it's not. We've talked about it before on our show. Wonder Man. He mm -hmm. is an L.A. native. He is an L.A. being a Hollywood guy. And part of his deal is he is an actor. Mm -hmm. He also looks good. But he's got superpowers, which gives him another edge as an actor because he can do things and things can happen to him. Yep. And he's not really going to get injured. So there's a lot of things in that. I can't remember what books it was. I don't remember. who. It wasn't Wild Cards. There was story and it was uh gosh i can't remember what it is but there was like it was like a tv show where they had a low-level telekinetic who was kind of on st on staff and the like the main actor was this character named the cougar and he had kind of like plastic cougar armor and you know he was like yeah it can you know he can fight and stuff but he's still an actor but the tiki the, the telekinetic person would help him do stuff and kind of accentuate things and it became like oh and then he like stopped like a, a crime at like a 7-eleven and he became real popular for that. It's like, oh, he's a hero and he's an actor and stuff. And he's just like, I'm actually kind of a guy. And this is starting to get too real. In fact, like a big team was like, hey, would you like to join our team? And he's just like, I don't want to be killed. No, <laughs> no. I wear a plastic uh, Halloween costume. I'm just a soap opera person. We, I, I'm getting threats on my life now from people that are very, very scary. I cannot do this. Please stop telling everybody I stopped a crime ring. I stopped a guy from like stealing 20 bucks out of a register. <laughs> Is that which is great? There, there are examples of uh, powered people doing yeah. kind of like the television stuff, which is neat. Yeah, no, and no, it makes I, sense too because yeah. it's like, hey, we need this effect where somebody flies through and then gets shot with bullets. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll totally do that. And I, I will say the scenes of them doing this action, it's great. It's fun, and it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, this is this is what you want to see in a really cool movie. Yeah, I and love they can, all of that, and they can do it really well. Between mm -hmm. their two powers, so yeah, let's do that some more. That's cool. There, there's an entire there's a Mary Jane comic book run which is all about 
uh, Quentin Beck, Mysterio, yeah. pretending to be a different director, a popular director, to get a story made. You know, and he's filming a movie, and he's hiring in a lot of... You know, Mary Jane is playing Spider-Man and Mary Jane, and is also... It's got lots of kind of second string or kind of quasi-reformed villains on cast, you know, on set working. It's like, oh, yeah, the kangaroo is like... Uh, you know, a lighting specialist and all sorts of stuff. It's great. And then, like, the Sinister Six is really upset because they're like, this guy's making Mysterio look good in his story. What about us? He's, like, throwing us under the bus. We need to shut down this production. They're lying about us. And, we, you know, it's this whole thing where it's just like, this is just a whole bunch of villains and Mary Jane fighting <laughs> each other and also making, a, a like, a really good movie. <laughs> Let's talk about some relationships. We've got Julie and Johnny. They are friends. They get along. They seem to be the most healthy people in this entire thing. Now, Johnny's got a crush on Julie. Yes. He's not pushing it. He's no. not asking for anything. He's got a crush on her, but he's also being a very good friend. Yeah. And I think that they've got a very good friendship. So They do. They And they have a lot in common. Yeah. They can talk about a lot of stuff. They really, you know, they both love Lord of the Rings. They both like burgers. I'm yeah. sure there's more to it than that, but, you know, stronger friendships have been based off of less of things. So. Yeah. We have the burgeoning relationship, or we have something interesting here between Phil and Hollow. Mm-hmm. She, uh, she likes him or trusts him for some reason, and he's taking care of her, and he's fine with that. He finally has, he finally has control over something. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't realize that he's lost control over everything else at all. And then we have the secret relationship between Mickey and Chris, which nobody knows about yet. Yep. Yeah. In fact, uh, Julie has picked up on it going, you, you yeah. know, you notice the lovey-dovey vibes between those two? Da, 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 da. They're, I think they're, you know, they're dating. Yeah. And uh, Chris and that is, so, so, you know, shocker. Spoilers for coming up. This will be mentioned again by me. But, you know, Chris is uh, not Chris that I called johnny chris was because the director after they just finished the scene and it was cool and everybody's applauding him saying oh my goodness that was one take and that was so amazing and everything and julie's saying oh i'm, I, I'm so glad everybody's happy i'm my parents i gotta call my parents they're gonna freak out and the director is all fantastic julie just fantastic you and chris are gonna be stars in this town i'm thinking that that's just a mistake on the part of the writer it probably <laughs> is but i just i think it's funny to just think that it's just like the the, Johnny uh, put Johnny put in a fake name there. Johnny put in a fake name, or the director was just so focused on Julie and his wants there that uh, it was like, and that other guy, uh, probably a Chris. <laughs> so. uh, the only other thing I think we should talk about, at least mention a little bit, is the sexual assault. And mm. I will say this, I do like how this book handled it. Mm-hmm. This does happen. This especially happens in Hollywood industry. Mm-hmm. And it was completely inappropriate. Julie was in the position where she does have the power to stand up for herself and to put down this human man. Yes. And she's not afraid to use it. She didn't hesitate. She didn't blink. She just said, you think you've got the power? I don't think so. She also showed restraint because she just yeah. like, rainbow blasted him out of the trailer. I like the fact that there was almost nothing there. She just said, look, I came here to do this. If you're going to act this way, we're done. Yeah. And I'm I am willing to drop it. I don't need this in my life, and I don't I don't need this entire thing. And I applauded for that. She didn't like. Well, okay, we'll do this because I really really want this job. Yeah. She never sacrificed any part of herself for that. Not even for an instant. It nope. wasn't even on the radar. Yeah, it wasn't even a, an option. It was just like, no, this is not right, and this is not happening. Julie can be anything she wants to be, and she doesn't need to get this kind of abuse. No, she does not. All right, uh, but you know what does need to get. An abuse of some sort? 
<laughs> what, Rick? Our critiques of what our feelings are about the art in this book. I had nothing there. I tried my best. It failed. There was a germ of something there, and I just cleaned it off with some cleaning solution. That works. That didn't work. That was, uh, you were going somewhere with that one too, and that also got scrubbed away like yesterday's dinner. Not a good day. Not a good day at all here, I guess. But let's talk about some final thoughts. Let's talk about the Gallery of Greatness. What piece of art in this book needs to be pinned to the walls of our soon-to-be-destroyed basement where we hold our AA meetings? Mm-hmm. Actually, they're not AA. I guess they're just anonymous. No, they're just anonymous. Just anonymous meetings where they introduce themselves a bunch. So it's not even anonymous. It's just it's meetings. anonymous to everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody that doesn't show up, it's anonymous. Jeff, I need you to take a look at this date that is occurring mm-hmm. at the observatory, the Griffith Observatory, because yes. there is something I find to be very funny there. And it's this bust of James Dean that's looking down at them. Yep. And I got to tell them. you, it, it really looks like James Dean is laughing at them. Yeah, he's just like, whoa, these two, what a train wreck. Okay, yeah, <laughs> go ahead and date, lovebirds. Enjoy your time in the sun. Because like Icarus, yeah, this ain't going to work. It just looks like James Dean's laughing at them. They put James <laughs> Dean in there, and it looks like James Dean's looking down on them and saying, man, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. What do you have, man? I love I do like that. That's pretty great. Page five on Marvel Unlimited. And this is where Johnny is driving Julie to go over to her meeting at Marvel Studios. And they're driving dun, dun, through dun. the, dun, 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 and they're driving <laughs> through the big Marvel Studios gate that has Spider-Man and Captain America and Wolverine on the top. And I call this, uh, wait, I'm confused. So are these characters that are just in movies that are made at the Marvel Studios or are these reenactments of real life superheroes in the world and uh hmm. here is my no prizing of this entire thing Mm -hmm. inside the marvel universe 616 it is a known fact that the exploits of all superheroes are written down in comic books Mm. because steve rogers used to be an artist on a comic book true by day and at night he was captain america and you always see people reading. There's X Men comics where they're, the kids in Japan are reading the X Men comics about the exploits of the X Men. That is a given. So it doesn't make it too much out of the stretch of the imagination that a lot of those comic books or a lot of those publications of chronicling these exploits of these superheroes would be made into very wonderfully financially lucrative movies. I'll accept it. Here's your no prize. Now, here's here's one problem that I do have with it, though. At mm-hmm. the time, only one of those three individuals was actually owned by Marvel Studios. <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man was owned by Sony. I think X-Men was still over, or Wolverine and X-Men were over at Fox. So <laughs> that is called copyright infringement on Marvel Studios. <laughs> Who yeah. knows? Yeah. No. Oh, I'm sorry. That's that's not Wolverine. That's Blade Man. And that's not Captain America. That's No, Captain America's fine. Captain America's oh. fine. Oh, okay. That's, it's uh, uh, the Spidey th- Boy. That's uh that's uh, Arachnid Man. That's Web Kid. <laughs> the popular character Web Kid. So if we want to go a couple pages after that, I guess it would be about page seven. We are in the kitchen of the apartment mm-hmm. and Phil's having a nice day. He's doing yeah, the dishes. Phil is. He's he's enjoying his life. He's got this weird chick that's over at his place, but that's okay. It's all good. Yep. And he's thinking about this kiss that she gave him. And he's looking at a plate, and he's looking at the worst commemorative plate ever. Because <laughs> the plate has an image, a warped image of Hollow going in for a kiss, and this just just this rough 
image of Green Goblin. And if that's a commemorative plate, you ain't getting anything on the Antiques Roadshow for that. Not much. And especially now that Phil threw it to the ground, with along with all the other dishes he was cleaning up. <laughs> Worst commemorative plate ever. Yep, not a good one. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have for another funny one? My top funny one is page 13. All right. Just And I call it all of it, because I love page 13, all of it. This is when Julie and Ricochet are dressing up as Black Cat and Iron Fist and having a big bounce around fight. And it's it's a big, it looks like it was probably a big two-page splash page, and it's one, two, three, four, eight, uh, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 panels of just glorious uh, them pretending to be people, and it's so cool, and I love it because it's hilarious to me. Well, let me tell you about my backup good art, and that mm-hmm. is the three-panel action fight club piece at the bottom left of those this double-page spread. Which is great. Yeah, which is an elbow that Iron Fist is going to Black Cat's, Black Pat's bending down. A knee that Iron Fist is is shooting towards Black Cat, but Black Cat is blocking it. And then a punch that is getting blocked to the side by Black Cat's hand. It's very, very cool looking, and I like that so much. That is my backup good art, those three panels right there. It is pretty great. I think my, my top funniest in this entire giant spread of panels which is just so great is uh when the directors ask him it's like hey you guys ready to go and they're like what ready willing and able and it's just it's black cat giving a thumbs up and uh iron fist behind giving the shaka you know just mm-hmm. the thumb and pinky out just kind of you know it's like yeah it's all cool let's let's, let's we're loose and loose and ready to goose it's uh it just cracks me up it just cracks about, me up knowing that it, who who it is in there what about good it. art there buddy what's your backup good art my backup good art is on page seven, and I call it hollow support. <laughs> and this was this was on your uh, worst commemorative plate ever page, which has hollow wakes up and shreds the blanket that was covering her from being on the floor and runs over to Phil to see what's going on. She's like, I got to protect this guy. And she just sees that he's just distraught. And she just sits down on the floor amid all the broken plates and everything and just holds him and comforts him. And he, he just leans into her and accepts that comfort because it's just, they're both damaged. They both have demons and they understand that. And it's just, I, that's why I think hollow like immediately took a fascination with him. It's like, she knows that she knows what it's like to be possessed by other things. And he's basically, he's haunted. He's, he's hag ridden. He's, he's got a goblin inside of him. Yeah. I can definitely go with that. I like that image. It shows comfort. It shows caring on her face. And you can see he's kind of a broken man. Yep. So I, I definitely agree with that one. I definitely, my top best one is the top of the page after Julie knocks McDirector dirtbag <laughs> out of the trailer. <laughs> and he is, flying out of the trailer in a cornucopia of colors and it's wash and it comes out and i just called this rainbow bash because that's what it is it's on page 18 of marvel unlimited and i know that because i called it rainbow power (laughs) yep it is a fascinating and beautiful punch and i love it i just love it i mean there's nothing else to really say it looks beautiful and i like the reasoning behind it yep uh all of that yeah. All of that. Yeah. Same exact reasons. Let's talk about about some of the rubber and glue moments. What was the best or most childish insults in this book? Jeff, I've kind of been hogging some of it up. So why don't you tell me what you've got going on there? 
on this same page, which is page 18 of Marvel Unlimited, after Lowell has gotten tossed off to the ground, he's all, you can't do this. There are laws now that protect us from you powered freaks. I'm calling the cops. Powered freaks. Coming from a guy who was a sexual predator on an underage girl. I felt that was just immensely childish and just just the dumbest of insults to call her a powered freak when it's just like, do you, you realize you're the monster here, right? This is a joke. You realize you're the bad guy and you think you had the power. Yeah. You didn't have the power and you're a freak and everything about you is wrong. So guess what? You can't go running to the police now going, I wanted to sexually predate on somebody, but they wouldn't let me. You know, it's like, <sighs> I'm going to tell you what my top one is because mm-hmm. it is on the same page and it is. Julie's response back to him, where she calls him a dirtbag director. Director, yeah. Dirtbag director, I liked that a lot. <laughs> so what is your top one, sir? My top one is on page four, and it's when uh, Julie and Johnny are in the car talking. It's less an insult. But there's some insulting in it, but it's just very kind of kid-like to me, or like young mm-hmm. person thing. Speaking of hidden agendas, have you been picking up on the whole lovey-dovey vibe between Chris and Mickey? They're so totally doing it. Those two? Knocking boots? No way. I know Chris. He'd never hook up with a goody-goody like her. It's like, yeah. you, guys are, you guys are children. Yeah, it's the nice digs at the friends that aren't yeah. there and talking behind their back. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. I like that one. Yeah. No, that, that's good. That, that's the kids talking behind the back of their friends. I like it. I'd like to go a couple pages in the future back to where Julie has gone into the casting for the Civil War, and she's run out of there. And the director that will be the dirtbag, this is actually when we like the guy, but he makes a well, dig at his fellow director saying, fools like Mr. Civil War. Yep. He's calling his fellow director a fool because of his love of using special effects and all that stuff. So yeah, I like it. It's very stuff, simple. Yeah. It's very simple, but fools like Mr. Civil War, very derisive <laughs> of his fellow director. Kind of like I mostly am very derisive of you and your bad choices oh wow going that route again are we i'm sorry i forgot we for, we should do the rubber and glue at the beginning of the section not the yeah end. you dirtbag podcaster you poopy headed podcaster I, there i guess this means that i'm gonna get shunned and not be popular <laughs> because we're talking about the most popular and the most shunned we want to identify the team member who was the best and which one was the worst jeff who was the worst in this issue for you Man, reach into a hat and pull out a name, and you could come up with a reason why it's them. It's middle of the road for a lot of things in this one. I can get that. Mm -hmm. Who landed on the bottom of the heap for you this one? The one for me, and I can't explain it, is Maddie. Yep, I'm really with you. Okay, she was barely in it, and the bit where she was there, she's like, it seems like, oh, she's been working on this information about the MGH Mm -hmm. cartel that's kidnapped her, potentially, and all this stuff, and the things they've been doing researching the B-plot in these books, but she isn't really doing anything, and she's talking to Johnny, who she was going to meet up with, and, like, pick his brain on some stuff, and she's like, okay, yeah, fine, if we can't get together now, you know, tell me what, text me and tell me when we can get together. She's like, how am I supposed to figure this out if I can't even get alone with this, you know, alone with this idiot long enough to talk about it? It's like, this is, you do not have to have a special meeting about this. You could do this on the phone if you have stuff to ask him about. And yeah. in fact, she's looking up, like, the death of his friend Hornet. Yeah. You're insulting to a person who actively wants to help you to do the things you're not doing at all. And you're, what research do you need to do? 
yep, she's got other issues going on and she's not really being part of the team. She's not really there. I don't know why the character's there. Yeah. We almost don't need her. So I am right there with you. Let's go ahead and talk about the best because I think we're going to be the same on this. It's Julie, right? Yeah, I'm going to say Julie. Even though Julie had enough moments of negative aspect on her where it's just like, I, I had really seriously thought about making this a uh, best was Julie, worst was Julie. Because she had enough negatives in this, but the, her her growths and her positives were, yeah. were were really good. And that's the thing, is that as a character, she grew. She had some negatives, but she quickly dealt with the negatives. Yes. And she listened to people. So while she was making bad choices, she did come around at the end. So that's yeah. why I'm willing to give her a lot of benefit of the doubt on this. Yep. And, I, and I, I see the negatives as being part of the positives in this. And I can understand that because it showed what she had to overcome, the steps she yeah. had to. And she was pushing off people's like advice and everything. But then she did come to the moment where she was like, you know what? Actually, there's this. This is the normal stage in these where it's like, who is the best? And I'd say Johnny. Ricochet. <laughs> and I almost went with him again on this time, except he was a little bit of kind of like a, a flag in the wind. He was kind of just blowing where Julie was, was flowing. Yeah. And he was supportive and everything, but he was also just like... It's like, hey, I'm going to the, the studio to support you. Yeah. Oh, apparently you just outed yourself and me as ex-heroes. Okay. And apparently I'm working a job now. Okay. You know, he was just kind of he was kind of going with the flow thing. So yeah. that that's why I didn't give him the best because he was he was there. He was very supportive and everything. But yeah, the growth that Julie showed in understanding of who who she was pretending to be that she needed to change and who she should be that that's amazing. Personal growth is a huge huge thing, and yep. I applaud her for that. I would agree with that. Now, let us we've agreed twice. Let's see if we can go and agree three times. We need to talk about the ranking of this book. Top grades. Where does this book fit on our list? Top of the heap is still Uncanny X-Men Volume 1, number 205, Wounded Wolf. It's not going to go anywhere for quite a while, probably. Midway down the list, we've got, in spot number five, Runaways number six, that's where the kids finally defeat Ultron. And then at spot number 10, we've got Loners number three, What Lies Beneath, the book that came before this. And we uh, we didn't like it so much. I'm pretty sure that we like this one better than the last one. Yeah. Yeah, we do. This one had a lot of drama in it as well, which seems to kind of be the hallmark of these comics. But it was much better. And I agree, it's not usurping the number one spot. Yeah. It is somewhere on this list. It's not at the top nor the bottom. No. So. The first one where Maddie convinces Chris to hunt down drug makers. You know what? This has got a bit more to it. It I does. I like Julie's story in this. I like the other things. We still are building up to something. Yeah. This is a very talky book. The action sequences that we have are fake action sequences, but they're really fun. They're good. They're good. Julie's con confrontation with the director is fabulous. Mm -hmm. We are moving plot along, and I like I like where all of the characters are going Except for Maddie. Maddie's just kind of hanging in the wind there. I can even handle Phil and Hollow in this. It's small I, little bit, but I, I like, like that, it. honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge I'm I'm good with it. Like Johnny was talking to Julie about it going, it's kinda creepy. She he has her on like a short leash. That's really kind of weird what's going on there. And it's like it's not really that. It's just he's providing her a space. She feels safe there. He's not doing anything to her or like using her. It's just you know, it's just like, okay. There's a couch. She's not sleeping on that, but she'll sleep on the floor. You have a blanket. I'm over here. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'll prepare us food and I'll clean up after us and everything. He's not pressuring he's just, her he's for just anything. Taking he's, care of her. 
He's just yeah, taking care of it. He is a caretaker. It doesn't seem like it's a bad relationship. It's just, it's him kind of trying to figure out her and her existing there. And he's like, okay, I, I can... I can help this person yeah. where nobody else seems to want help. Do we like this more than loners number two reflex actions? That's where Johnny goes solo. Do we like Johnny's solo bit more than this one? Hmm. I do like Johnny. This was pretty good though. Hmm. 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 But I just, I, that's why I'm thinking it's between it's somewhere in spot three or, or it's in spot four, four or five. Or five. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Gosh, they are very on par with each other. They're very comparable. Well, let's go ahead and put this, Let's go and put this below loners number two. Let's make this the new number five. That works. I think that I think the Johnny's solo, there was a lot there's a lot more meat that was in there. I think that this has got a lot more overall cool stuff going on. Yeah. But we found has, a lot yeah. of good stuff about Johnny in that one. I think that they could probably go either way. People may disagree with us. That's fine. It's our show. They can deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> we flipped a coin. That's where it got there. No, it's not true at all. It's a fine spot. Let's talk a little bit about this beer, shall we? Mm-hmm. It is. It's in a glass. I've slowly been drinking it. It is still bubbly. It still tastes like champagne. It still doesn't smell like much of anything. No. This is Pink is the New Black by Flatland Brewing Company. It tastes like champagne. Yeah. And not in a bad way. Not in a bad way at no. all. No. I could it's drink a- this very easily. It's a very simple, very easy beer to drink. It's not flashy. It's not overly excitable it's a good solid drink on a nice warm day i'd say this is a either a three and a half or a four i'm gonna go ahead and give it the three and a half it, yeah. it's, just, it's not bringing a lot of spectacular table but let me tell you i i'm enjoying it i think it's quite tasty it is in that fine plus category for me it's very much yeah it's a three five it's decent i'm not drinking it fast i've topped up my glass but i still have some in the can i haven't been slamming it i haven't been reaching for it instinctively going, oh, I need that flavor in my mouth. It's just, it's a thing. If you want a beer that's going to last you a while, but isn't like a stout, isn't a meal beer, but just is like an existence, you're like, oh, I kind of want to have a little thing. This is a great one for that. So 3.5, I think, is a good categorization of it. So we'll go ahead and say pink is the new black. 3.5 from both of us. And that is what we say. And that leads us up to saying that it is kids' perspective time. And that's where Rick talks to his daughter, Carrie, about the issue that we just covered. So Rick and Carrie, take it away. Hello, Carrie. Hello, Daddy. So we are back to talk about another issue of The Loners. This one features one of our favorite people, right? Yeah, the whole reason we're actually focusing on The Loners is because of... Julie. That's right. So this is all about Julie Power, right? Yes. Actually, not all, because we do have some seeds with the others. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But the good parts are. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So is there any parts that you liked in this? Well, I do like how they kind of had a bit of Katie in there, too, I think. Katie was in there a bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. You didn't even see her, but just her talking. I just like Julie. Yeah, she's on the phone. I just like how it's with Julie. Mm-hmm. Did you like how she got a job working as an actress? Yeah, but then she decided that it was a no-go for her, right? Right, uh, because she had some problems with the director, didn't she? Yeah. You don't let anybody treat you like that, right? Right. If you find somebody that treats you like that, walk away. 
Don't let them treat you like that? Probably. Kind of like what Julie did. Don't get yourself in those situations. And if you do, get out, right? Right. Also, what movie is this cover from? This is from a movie called Pretty in Pink. I haven't shown you it yet, but the people on the cover are uh, Andrew McCarthy, Molly Ringwald, and John Cryer. And you know none of those people. (laughs) No, but that makes sense why, like, Julie's shirt is highlighted in pink, and it makes sense because she's, her color is pink, so. Red, but pinkish. That is correct. That is very correct. Can you see my screen? Yes. Oh, I see it. That does look kind of like it. Yeah. That is the cover for Pretty in Pink, and got Molly Ringwald there at the in the front, and up on over her right shoulder, that's Andrew McCarthy, and just right over her head, that's John Cryer. It's a pretty good representation yeah. of that uh, picture, isn't it? Yeah. What else did you like about this issue? Anything else that you liked about this issue? I don't know. Let me ask you this. What did you think of the relationship between Johnny and Julie? I think it's okay. They seem to like each other fairly well, so it's nice, kind of a nice relationship. Wait, is there like a certain age limit? Because when we were reading Runaways, Mm -hmm. Johnny said that it made him feel really old. (laughs) And Julie's like a teenager, so... I think he's in his early 20s, and I think really they have a good relationship. I don't think that there's anything wrong with their relationship. They're just friends. I think that Johnny does have a crush on Julie, but he treats her like a friend, and he treats her okay. Yeah, they treat each other okay. The way Julie actually reacted to Hollow, I'm kind of with Johnny there. Like, why is Julie so friendly about that? Because... Hollow literally put her in a hospital. Julie seems to be willing to forgive people really easily. She doesn't hold a grudge. She wants to be friendly. She doesn't want to always be angry at people, which is not a bad trait. Not everybody can do that. I, Julie got better, and so she's, she's fine. She's got a better healing than most people, and so she just she's fine with it. She's rolling with it. Yeah. What did you think about the fight, the movie fight? That was actually pretty interesting. It would help if Julie didn't completely give herself away with, like, the rainbow and such, but rainbows and... Well, like the director said, they can remove those through some CGI, but it's but that's easy to do. The rest of the fight looked pretty cool, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? I don't think so. Okay. Well, I thank you very much, and I hope you still are enjoying these books. I'm enjoying the books, just not some of the characters. (laughs) Yeah, I understand that. I understand that. Well, we have a few more of these to go. We're at halfway through, so we'll be fine. All right? Okay. Thank you very much for your time, Carrie. Okay. Bye. Love you. Love you. you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. I know. A Julie issue indeed, Carrie. That's pretty great. Shout out time. We like to thank those people that call in, write in, leave us a review, and... This is for our first dive into loners, issue number one, Fear of Flying. And apparently not too many people were that impressed or whatever because we didn't get that many people that said anything. But we want to thank the people that did stop in and say hi to us. So Jeremy Daw, who told us it's going to be quite a listen giving the interesting story beats. Jason Persons covers, though. Mm Mm-hmm. We like those. Yeah, those are really great. Jeff Polier. New Warriors Talk. Tim Price, the Podcrasher, and his show, The Outcasters. And he says, a new-to-me comic! And Waffles of Waffles and Mario talk about things. 
We also like to thank those Patreon members that stop by and give us some money to do this show. It helps. Adorably astonishing and amazing Andrew Burns. Cheerfully cheeky and charming Char Logan. Challenging, cheesy, and chuckling Charles Gears. Destructive and devastatingly delightful Damian Witter. Dynamically dangerous and devious Doug Jones. Exciting, energetic, and entertaining Edward Verrochi. Intelligent, interesting, and innovative Isaac Perry. Jesting, joking, and jovial Jeff Polier. Just jealous and jeweled Jeremy Daw. Muscly, mighty, and meticulous Matthew Birdsey. Mythical and magnificent monologuing Matthew Lazerwitz. Rudely rhyming and running Rustin Fritcher. Steely, salty, and steamy Sailor Bears Oldar. Sad and sickeningly silly Shag Matthews. Strange and stirringly steady Stephen Gray. Tyrannically terrifying and tame Tim Price. Technically terrific and triumphant Todd Enoch. Way, way wordy and wobbly Waffles. Weird and wonderfully wacky Wind. Please check out our other shows that we're on. Sometimes, when Jared remembers, he puts our junior agent submissions on the MI6 Rogue Agent episodes of On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. And you can always check out my wonderful movie show, Monthly Monday Movie Muckabout, on the Longbox Crusade Network. Yeah, he's only sitting on uh, one of those with Carl Potts and Hilary Barda. I mean, it, yeah, it's no, no, but nobody that's a name. He keeps telling me, he's like, I keep forgetting. It's like, I remembered to do a bunch of those. It'd be nice if they pop. <laughs> And we have some merchandise available on Redbubble. Go to redbubble.com and search for Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Jeff and Rick present is a bi-weekly self-produced podcast recorded in front of a live studio audience of my new microphone. Yes. In Portland, Oregon. If you'd like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff and Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word at gmail.com, or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. Also, our YouTube channel is at Jeff and Rick Present. And if you would like to help support our show, we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word. We are also a proud supporter of the Hero Initiative, and we'll be donating 10% of our Patreon donations to this great cause. We encourage everyone to give what they can to this worthwhile organization that helps the creators who provide us with such great content. Go to heroinitiative.org to find out more. Please rate and review us wherever you can. Tell your friends about us or share your love for us on social media. And as always, we want to thank the powerful people in our packs. My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. My fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. We, we love, love you. you. Until next time, costumes, costumes off. Our theme music is 80s action. Also featured in this episode is Thunderhead. All music is by Kevin McLeod of Nicopitech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Want to look super? Some studies suggest that everything about that is miserable, from me snorting to me talking. Wesh! But it was very chic to not. But it was very chic. 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 Wesh! They're at the Griffith Abert... They're outside, next to a place that's inside. Griffith Observatory. They are at the. Okay, I need an aside on this one. Is this a song? Is this a thing? I'm not sure. Or is it just so, fellas? Yeah, fellas. Yeah. Does you like your girl with big butts? So baby got back. Oh, okay. Oh, gotcha. Sad and sickeningly sad. Where's the words? There they are.